Greetings and salutations. My name is Jim McGinnis and this is uh, my podcast called Stories We Can Tell. Pretty self-explanatory, don't you think? Um, The hum you hear in the back is my fan. Stella Grace and I are hanging out on the back porch. It's rather humid tonight, so we needed the air to keep moving. Just got back from a fine family vacation over on the Gulf. For seven days, I avoided the news like the plague. I watched no TV, except for a couple peaks of the College World Series. Sorry, Knowles. Would have uh, been great for Mike Martin to go out with a championship. He's a good man. Hell, I think the news is on right now. But I'm out here on the porch thinking about other things. On this humid Florida evening, um, this episode is called Enough, and the reason for that title will become clear by and by. We Americans are a curious lot. It's hard to pin down exactly who we are. I took a shot at it in my first book, Tending to the Past, and for the sake of debate, let's try again. Who are we, Americans? Well, Americans are practical enough to know that we can't fix anything with blanket policies. One size does not fit all. Americans are Jeffersonian enough to grasp that liberty is a spiritual idea and the purpose of freedom is to allow each and every one to find his or her own way. They are conservative enough to embrace Edmund Burke's disdain for ideology and dogma, and liberal enough to believe that there's more than one way to live. Educated enough to believe in TR's good society, to understand the context of the Founders' principles, to appreciate the role of government in a complex industrial society. The snowball effect of urbanization and industrialization has altered the purpose of government within the realm of a democratic republic. Whoa. Still with me? I was having this discussion just the other day and in trying to make a point, I described my observation as objective. My friend jumped on the comment, questioning my ability to be a neutral observer of any sort. I admit I was taken back. I guess we'd all like to cloak ourselves in objectivity. But must passion always be taken for partisanship? And if we disagree, does that make your opinion or my opinion skewed and biased? Is my differing opinion always driven by an ulterior motive or a political agenda? Lower. Oftentimes we're labeled by others for the sake of convenience kind of a political geography, if you will. I know where you stand. Well, I don't know about you, but I never felt comfortable with labels. My father was an Irish Catholic labor union Democrat. My mother was a free-thinking conservative. My heroes have ranged from libertarians to bomb-throwing revolutionaries. To be sure, 
I'm quick to play the devil's advocate, but my friends and family oftentimes wrongly assume my position on an issue because they think they have my label. Why do you suppose that is? Americans are moderate enough to believe in the middle way, troubled enough by the constant drone of pundits who claim we have betrayed our founding fathers' vision. Hell, the founders themselves couldn't live up to such propositions. That's the wonder of it. They are our heroes as men, not as gods. Americans are independent enough to fear paternalism and the long-range effects of institutionalized sympathy but compassionate enough to concede the fact that our system has had a hand in creating the poverty and misery we see in our country. It has a responsibility to find ways to relieve it. They are wise enough to know that we are not always right. Sometimes we're dead wrong. George Will said the spirit of liberty rests in the understanding that I just might not be right. So let's hear what you have to say. Just as a leader can't lead from behind, a teacher can't teach from a perch upon the fence. Ideas are not just playthings of the mind. Ideas are not innocent, and they're definitely not all created equal. Teaching students to think for themselves doesn't require a teacher to check his views at the door. If you really wish to build a democratic citizen, then you better be willing to get under his or her skin, to pull their chain, to press their buttons. The trick, of course, is to do so with respect and tolerance and good humor. Jefferson himself placed a bust of Hamilton in his foyer, a statue of his political adversary in his foyer. Although the two had been bitter political enemies, Jefferson lived long enough to realize the greatness of a man who possessed vastly different political views. A difference of opinion, he wrote, is not a difference of principle. Ronald Reagan chastised members of his staff for even using the word enemy in describing opposing party members. Americans remember enough to know that laissez-faire does not work in an industrial economy any better than socialist or corporatist central planning does. However, a policy of regulated markets and industries in no way disrespects the legacy of the founders. It's a natural product of the social contract theory. I'm not idealistic enough to believe that unregulated markets can work without causing serious long-term problems. As Republican Joe Scarborough said, there is nothing conservative about turning a blind eye to reckless speculation and greed. Americans are humble enough to admit that they can be torn on moral issues. While we may have strong beliefs, there are times when each of us must say I just don't know. We are patriotic and sensible enough to embrace some economic nationalism. Companies and individuals who reap the benefits of our government policies should be willing to show gratitude and loyalty to this country. 
Americans are experienced enough to realize that a market dominated by large corporations offers no more freedom than one controlled by an officious government. Some of America's greatest success stories are examples of how business and government work together. Just check it out. We are, of course, unselfish enough not to worry about who gets the credit in solving our problems. Many liberal ideas started in conservative think tanks and vice versa. Go figure. Americans are responsible enough to answer the call to public service, brash enough to embrace American exceptionalism. They are bewildered enough by those who rant about the perverted sense of entitlement we Americans possess, while the ranters are the very products of such entitlement. Americans are awake enough to see how Florence King's wisdom applies to both sides of the aisle. Democracy, she said, is the fig leaf of elitism. We are enlightened enough to believe that the struggles of today are not necessarily for today. That's Lincoln, of course. It will not be possible to curb government spending without addressing social security, defense, and health care. We must be far-sighted enough to care about addressing such issues and patriotic enough to search for middle ground. No civilization has taken democracy this far. I guess I believe we are, as George Washington described, an experiment, a test, said Lincoln. How free, how prosperous, can it long endure? How far can we take this? To say that we should not regulate goes against every notion of democratic society. We need traffic lights and litter laws and even speed bumps. We need the FDA, the CDC, the EPA, the IRS, and the SEC, and the FDIC. For modern society to function, we need fire and police protection, public utilities, roads, bridges, dams, national parks, wildlife sanctuaries, social insurance, mosquito control, air traffic control, or city transit. Of course, we have to be brave enough to do away with programs that don't work or have outlived their purpose. Burke and Buck Buckley both used the term restraint in describing conservatism, acknowledging society's duties and obligations, but also in serving the voice of reason. I believe it was Buckley who said that conservatism implied a submission to reality. But it seems to me that so many of today's conservatives, even in my family, are falling victim to that which they detest most about liberals, self-righteous ideological conformity. One size does not fit all. And this is why I feel totally at ease shouting at my TV when politicians from the left or the right conjure up the ghost of founders in order to suit their own agendas. Bullshit. How about bold, persistent experimentation? Or let's not fix what's not broken. Or ask not what your country can do for you. Not as slogans, but as courses of action. 
Franklin D. Roosevelt was the least ideological leader we've ever had. Of course, that's what made him successful. Only afterwards, after he was gone, did his brand of liberalism become some sort of doctrine or dogma. At its best, welfare liberalism was tempered by fiscal restraint and practiced, if not embraced, by conservatives such as Eisenhower and Nixon and, yes, Ronald Reagan. History shows that JFK was probably more conservative as a Democrat than Nixon was as a Republican. Why? I'm not sure. Maybe it's because both men were moderate, non-ideological. Still, someone built a fence around welfare liberalism, like new right conservatism. It became a dogma. And the only moderation comes for the purpose of getting elected. And here we are. Well, that's our story. Enough. I'm Jim McGinnis, and this is Stories We Can Tell. Until next time, fair winds and calm seas. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please contact me at storieswecantell at outlook.com.